Thank you, Robin. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts to reflect on His Word. Father, we thank You once again for this time. Thank You, Lord, for uh, Your Word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in Your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning. I'm so glad to see you here today. Uh, I promise it's going to be a shortened sermon, shorter than my usual sermons. I'll try. (laughs) Uh, Because of the uh, AGM, we want to conclude the service by about 12.05 and then uh, uh, move into the AGM almost immediately. And I wanted to uh, um, uh, reflect on the passage uh, from the epistle of Peter. Uh, because I think it uh, has a lot of relevance to us, especially because of our theme this year, which is for such a time as this. Those of you who know and were here at the beginning of the year, I shared, uh, uh, we, we preached a small series from the book of Esther. And this is taken from uh, her uh, um, example in that sense, where she was challenged by Mordecai you know, to understand that where she was in the palace, the position she was in, the place that God had her, was for such a time as this. And taking that as our theme for the year, that for us as Christians, you know, wherever God has placed us, we realize God, you know, there are no accidents in God's economy and God's plan for our lives. And where we are in terms of school, in terms of our uh, careers, in terms of our workplaces, in terms of our neighborhoods, in terms of our uh, social uh, circles of influence, we need to recognize that we are called there for such a time as this. In other words, we need to live out our lives, you know, fully as Christians where God has placed us. For many of us, you know, we may end up being one of the only Christians that some people would ever come into contact with. And, you know, the the privilege in that sense of sharing with them the good news that we have received, I think, goes far beyond uh, anything else you could engage in. But my curious uh, sermon title, Resident Aliens, is really derived from this uh, verse 17 of this passage, where it says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Uh, uh, ESV talks about living in exile, living as foreigners. The New King James has a curious footnote which says, you know, foreigners, it puts the footnote, sojourning or dwelling as resident aliens. And that's a term that's not as familiar for us as Singaporeans, but if any of you have traveled in the past to the US, you would remember sometimes when you get to the customs, they would put down there aliens and then you look around, you know, <laughs> who are they talking about? You know, in fact, in the past, uh, if you got a green card, the card used to read at the top, resident aliens. Now, today, the green card says permanent resident. That's what they meant. Lah. You know, but the term resident aliens, I guess they found was a little bit too uh, um, derogatory, wasn't very flattering, and so they changed it. Uh, but you know, the concept and the idea that Peter was trying to get across, Peter was writing to the church in Asia Minor that was going through very difficult times, that they were suffering for their faith, that being a Christian was not easy. 
being a Christian put a target on your back. And, you know, he was writing to encourage them to recognize who they are and where their true citizenship lay. And that's where we look at this passage. And let's pick it up. You know, he tells them first and foremost, you need to live out your faith where God has placed you. In verse 14 and 15, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Be holy in all your conduct. And and later on he says, then be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And that's the the basis on which uh, we are called as Christians to live. And he, you know, uh, Peter himself, of course, like uh, Paul and other letters, you know, doesn't leave it just as a generic call. He then actually in verse, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, just outside the passage that was read, uh, says to the uh, church in Asia Minor, So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy and envy, and all slander. You know, he obviously understood that Christians were not living as they ought to. That we as Christians know how we should live, but we struggle with it. That was Paul's uh, understanding too. That's why he had these lists of vices to avoid. And then, you know, would come up with lists of how we ought to be living instead. That the call to us is to live different. You see, recognize, uh, brothers and sisters, that Jesus has won us the victory. That we are righteous in Christ. Not because of what we have done, but because of what He did on the cross for us. Right? We have attained His righteousness. That's the, the doctrine of imputation. That it's been put upon us. But there is a reality, you see, because despite the fact that sin's penalty no longer uh, 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 applies to us, the problem is that sin's presence continues to remain in us. Despite the fact that we no longer suffer sin's penalty, we are free from sin's penalty, we are unfortunately not free from its presence. That was Martin Luther's uh, reformational insight. I've talked about it in the past. He talked about how as Christians, we are simil justus et peccato. We're at the same time saints, we're at the same time justified, and yet sinners. That there is this ongoing reality of sin. That's why the Word of God comes to us as both law and gospel. You know, He tells us how we have fallen short so that we may return to Him and receive the gospel and learn to live in the light of the gospel. As I was preparing for this, I came across a story of um, um, the Nuremberg trials. You know what those were? Back in the 60s, it was post-World War II, Uh, they wanted to bring to justice all those who had committed the atrocities of the Holocaust. In World War II, the Germans, you know, at the time in Europe, when World War II broke out, they estimated about 9.7 million Jews who lived in Europe. Out of the 9.7 million Jews, 6, maybe even 7 million of them lost their lives because, you know, of of this evil policy that uh, uh, Hitler wrought upon Germany, and where they exterminated people just because they were of the Jewish race. 
And so the trials in Nuremberg were to bring uh, these people who perpetrated this, these heinous crimes to justice. Of course, Hitler escaped justice um, in the world. I believe he's facing his justice in heaven but, uh, because he committed suicide just at the end of the war. But uh, uh, Adolf Eichmann in particular had um, uh, been brought to trial. He had run away to South America. They captured him, brought him back to Germany for a trial. And in his trial... One of the people who was um, testifying against him was this man, Yehiel Dinur. He was a survivor of the Holocaust. He had himself been uh, uh, you know, um, persecuted and, and, and encountered Eichmann. What was interesting is that in the 80s, there's an American um, news magazine show on TV called 60 Minutes. Mike Wallace is the journalist who interviewed uh, uh, Dinur. And just as dinner was coming on, because he was a whole episode talking about the Holocaust, uh, he ran a clip which showed dinner walking into the trial. And as he was walking in and he was approaching Eichmann, he suddenly broke down and sobbed uncontrollably. Practically collapsed on the floor and then pandemonium broke out in the courtroom and they had to, you know, bring order to the court and all that. And Wallace asked dinner, what was it? that caused him to behave that way? Was he overcome by hatred? Was it fear seeing, you know, the, the person who had threatened his life sitting there on the stand? Was it grief for all the people he had lost? Dinner said this, explaining to Wallace, as he walked in, he suddenly realized that Eichmann was not this godlike army officer who had sent so many people to their deaths. This Eichmann was an ordinary man, and I quote him. He said, I was afraid about myself, said Diner. I saw that I am capable to do this. I am exactly like him. Which was a powerful insight. You know, for us as Christians, so often we sometimes think we sit in a different plane that the evil is all out there and it's not in here. And this list that uh, Paul or Peter rather talked about, you know, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. It's not just a list that touches the first century church. It touches the church in the 21st century here in Singapore as well. We are called to live out our faith. But this faith that we are called to live out is based on a living hope. Verses 18 and 19 continue. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That Peter is telling the Christians, you know, you need to get away from your futile ways. Get away from your former way of life. To be aware that, you know, uh, the things which you used to do, your former ignorance cannot uh, continue to govern how you live. And what does he mean by that? I think, you know, uh, I believe for many of us, the way we live lives as Christians, we live no different from the people all around us. 
The water in which we swim in is such that, you know, the pressures of the world exert themselves upon us. What do I mean? What the world says is that all you can see, everything that you have here and now in this life, that's all there is to life. You only need to live for today in that sense. Now, I'm not saying you don't plan for your future, your retirement. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's talking about what is within uh, our lifetime that we live here on earth. That we live as if there is no eternity. That we don't invest beyond what we know here and now. You know, and these are what Peter talks about as futile ways. In verse 20 and 21, he continues, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, our hope as Christians is not in what, but in who. Our faith and our hope is centered on the person of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. That our faith and hope are in God. You know, that's why uh, Peter points out that we've been redeemed, we've been ransomed, not by material things, but by the imperishable, the precious blood of Christ, that he, we are bought with a price. What does this mean for us? If we understand this reality that our faith and our hope are in God, how should we then live? You realize all the writers of the epistles, Paul, Peter, James, very often when they speak about how we ought to live, when they give us you know, commands about the Christian living, it often comes on the uh, um, heels of what they have uh, taught in terms of who we are in Jesus Christ. Look, for example, this passage. Verse 13 begins with the word, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, I was always taught when um, uh, you see in Scripture the word therefore, you must ask the question, why is it therefore? <laughs> what is it therefore? Right? In other words, therefore points to what comes earlier. And we are right here at the start of uh, 1 Peter. In fact, if you take the time and trouble to read through the letter of Peter, the first letter of Peter, he starts early on in his greetings to the church in Asia Minor. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That ultimately... You know, it, it, it's um, the indicative. Edwin, Edmund Clowney, who wrote this uh, commentary on First Peter, he says, it's the indicative of what God has done for us and in us, which precedes the imperative of what we are called to do for Him. Meaning that, you know, the indicative who we are in Jesus Christ always precedes what we do as Christians in His name. The imperative, the commands that we receive are founded upon the promise 
that we have in Jesus. That's the point that uh, uh, Peter was trying to make. This is the point about how we are called to live as people who are born again in the living hope. You know, I, I was drawn to, as I reflected on this passage and, and thought about this truth, uh, to that uh, wonderful hymn which reads, My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. You know, and that was originally, of course, the um, um, uh, hymn, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Uh, but Hillsong, you know, contemporized it and they've turned it into now what is a contemporary song, Cornerstone, which uh, uh, essentially expresses the same thing. You know, basically uh, uh, telling us that Christ alone, our cornerstone, the weak made strong in the Savior's love, through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. And this is what Peter is saying. And this is why he says, then we prepare our minds for action, being sober-minded. Not losing our heads when all around us, everyone else seems to be. Not allowing uh, the things of this world, the, the storms of this world to shake us. Because our hope is founded on something far more concrete than our retirement accounts, our investments, or what we have placed as important in life. And it is ultimately, you know, that we set our hope on the grace to be brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. The NIV makes it clearer that it's, it's pointing to Jesus' return. In other words, as Christians, we are called not just to live based on what Christ has done for us in the past, we are also called to live in the light of the end. You know, called to live in the light of what awaits us. In preparing for this, I came across this book and, and, and started reading it. I haven't finished it, but you know, even in his introduction, it's powerful introduction. In, uh, Todd Billings wrote this book, The End of the Christian Life, How Embracing Our Mortality Frees Us to Truly Live. And he wrote this book because he, uh, he's a theologian, teaches in a seminary in the U.S., but he received the diagnosis of terminal cancer. He's still alive at this moment, but he wrote this book uh, uh, right at the start or just before the pandemic and, you know, became quite a powerful work. In it, you know, he points out that all of us are going to die. That's an absolute certainty that we face there. Yet, we live in such a medically advanced, technologically uh, advanced age that so many of us tend to see death as a distant reality, something that happens only at the end of a long life or maybe to other people. In his book, in the end, of the, the end of the Christian Life, what Todd Billings is saying to us as Christians is he says we need to resist that view. That as Christians, we need to embrace our mortality, acknowledge the fact that there is a finiteness to life here on earth, and live in the light of it. That understanding this reality changes our perspective on life, changes our value on where we invest our lives. 
and what we invest our lives doing. This is ultimately the call to a genuine discipleship. He calls us to follow the crucified and resurrected Lord in a world of distraction. This is what he says in his introduction. Praying and living as mortals, accepting that we are dependent creatures fully loved by God, is an act of witness to a world that tells us to live as though our lives will never end. That's the real power of the witness that we can live out our lives. That's how we can live for such a time as this. We may not ultimately have some great influence or a pulpit from which to speak from, but if we live with a different value, with a different perspective of what's important in life, that will make all the difference in the world for people. I'm mindful now, I'm speaking to people for whom maybe your mortality is right before your face. Because of a medical diagnosis or because you're getting on in years and you know your body is breaking down. And you realize this world is not your home. You're just passing through. Your treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That Christ beckons to us and calls us to live in the light of eternity. But how do we do this? The reason I came across Todd Billings was not because of his book, but because of an interview he gave uh, about his book, talking about the end times. And how, you know, sometimes this thought of end times has fallen out of favor amongst Christians, maybe because back in the 70s and 80s, they had all kinds of wild theories of how the end times would take place. And they were trying to identify, you know, if you've been through all this, uh, stuff in the past, you, you know what I'm talking about. But he says, you know, we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because there were fanciful ideas of what the end looked like, it doesn't mean that the end is not certain and it's not coming. But when he was asked, how do we live in the light of the end? This is what he said, and I thought it was very insightful. In the interview, he says this, the Holy Spirit is indispensable to hope. Because it is by the Spirit that we taste the presence of Christ with us now. As the down payment, the first fruits, the guarantee of our final inheritance. Which is being in the presence of Jesus at His return. You know, that's been my prayer, that's been our prayer, you know, for a fresh work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. For a revival, as it were. And a revival, not just so that we can see all those signs and wonders that we saw in the days of old, when revival, uh, you know, took hold of this church and took hold of our, our nation. Those things are good, and I think they're necessary because they give us a foretaste of what is to come. They show us what God has planned for us. That's why healing is so powerful. It tells us that this life is not all there is, that God is able to heal, and He will heal all of us, 100%, especially when we enter into eternity. But that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. To empower us to live life in the here and now, in the midst of our mortality, where the storms of life buffet us, where the difficulties of living sometimes 
cause us to cry out to God, why, Lord, why me? How can I live this Christian life that you call me to live? So much easier to live like everyone else. But because we know different, we live different. Amen? Let's close our eyes, bow our heads in prayer as we come before God. And in a moment, we'll respond through this song, Cornerstone. But I'd like us right now to respond in our hearts to Him. What has the Lord spoken to you this morning? What is He saying to you about how you've been living out your faith where God has called you? Have your eyes been on the wind and the waves? Or have you fixed your eyes on Jesus who's in your boat? Who says to you, let's go over to the other side. That He promises He will never leave you nor forsake you. Let that word build faith in your hearts. Put your trust and hope in a living God. Father God, we come before your throne of grace this morning, thanking you for your word, Lord, which shines a light on the condition of our hearts. Lord, we struggle. We admit that we do struggle so often to live life as you've called us to live. That in ways we have related to the people around us have been very non-Christian, filled with malice, with deceit, with hypocrisy, envy and slander, immorality, and the list can go on, Lord. But we thank you, Lord, that you called us and you redeemed us by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses every sin. And you call us to yourself so that we can come again fresh. And Lord, I pray that you help us to live life as you intended us to live it, Lord. Not just in the here and now, but for the sake of eternity. Help us, Lord, to see that you are our cornerstone. That you are the foundation upon which we build our lives. That you are the solid rock on which we stand. That all other ground is sinking sand. These things we ask and we pray in your Son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen. Let's stand as we respond.